If you would, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm departing from our series this morning, uh, for this morning only, uh, because this is a special day, a special day. I have a question for you. Ever contemplated the, this question or a form of this question, what are you here for? Grammatically, maybe not the best, but uh, why are you here? I mean, not like here today, but in the service, but why are you here on earth? What purpose? Is there a greater purpose for our lives? Books have been written now in our generation. Videos have been produced to answer that question. The question of why. Well, God answers that for those who are His. We're going to look at that this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by Your mercy, You have brought us here You've given us the opportunity to look into your word. And so I pray that you would, O oh God, by the power of the Spirit, work in our hearts to understand, but also to empower us to do what you have us here for. Lord, we need you this morning. We need to understand. We need to see as you would have us see that we might glorify you. In Christ, in my pray. Amen. I want you to, to come back with me in your minds to a time in history, to a, a specific place, the place, the city of Jerusalem, to a time past, uh, a time that was just past the Passover. And the Passover was the feast that commemorated God's deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. As God sent plagues upon Pharaoh, each one of them is designed to persuade Pharaoh to let God's people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Until progressively, the, the plagues began to take a more somber and serious tone. They went from the locusts just kind of hanging around and covering everything to the final plague, which, as Moses warned Pharaoh, would be the death of every firstborn in the land of Egypt. However, God made provision, and God made provision for anyone who would obey God in this way, that they would come, they would sacrifice a lamb, they would kill that lamb, place the blood, as odd as it would seem, on the doorposts of their home. And then they would sit down and enjoy a nice meal, because in that part of the world, lamb is a delicacy, as it is in ours. And they would enjoy a nice meal, and they would go to bed, ready to leave, to leave Egypt. And that night, God would send his angel of death over the land of Egypt. And in that time, the firstborn of everyone in the land, beast and human, 
would die if there was no blood on the doorpost. We call that time Passover. It is a feast to celebrate the passing over of the death angel of a house that had the blood on the doorposts. And that feast was celebrated. In fact, God commanded the children of Israel to celebrate, to commemorate that day that they, in obedience, placed the blood on the doorpost and God delivered them from the bondage, the enslavement in Egypt. And they were to remember this because we are, as they are, were a forgetful people to remember the passing over God's deliverance. And so every year, they would do this. They would practice this. In times of bondage where they were not able, maybe in Babylon, able to, to actually to make a, a sacrifice of a lamb, they would still commemorate. In fact, they, they, would, they were so captivated with this. It was a very important feast day. In fact, God made it one of the important feast days for them when they were in the land. Well, that was the Passover. But another, a second important feast day occurred. A number of days past Passover. We called it the, uh, maybe in our times, uh, in their times, as Shavuot. The word meaning for weeks in Hebrew. It was called the Feast of Weeks. And now that feast was to celebrate God's provision. And it was situated wonderfully between barley harvest and wheat or grain harvest. And they would celebrate Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, a number of days, in fact, 50 days after Passover. And so they would take, in fact, God, um, and I, I, it's a wonderful thing how God called them to gratitude often for what he had done for them, but they would da- take uh, the grain, freshly grind that grain, and they would make two cakes, loaves of bread, and they would wave them. Okay? They would kind of rejoice and, and wave the bread as to say, this is what God provided for us. He provided grain for us. We have bread. We can eat. And so, you know, we don't see that much going on around. Maybe you might see today at a restaurant, someone bow and you might say grace, but they're actually thanking God for, but we don't wave our bread. You can wave, wave your rolls, but I'm not sure uh, what they would say as, around the tables. But they celebrated this. It was called Shavuot. Now, in later days, this Shavuot was also tied with the bringing of the law. So it's to Mount Sinai, the Torah, Tanakh. And so this feast day also began to morph in later days, around right before the first temple period, or the second temple period, became this recognition of God providing his word to them at Sinai. So this is the backdrop. Fifty days after Passover, Shavuot, oh, and they called it another word. They called it um, Pentecost because Penta meaning 50. And it was 50 days, seven weeks and one day after the Passover. And so on this day, we come to Acts chapter 2. You turn, I will turn there also. 
Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves and resting on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Fifty days from Passover, 120, 125, we don't know the exact number. People were in the upper room or a house. These were believers who had put their faith in, in Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Because 50 days prior, around that, Christ had what? He had gone to Jerusalem. He had been abducted by the Jewish leaders. They had tried him unjustly. They gave him over to the Roman rulers, and he became the Passover lamb. He became the Passover lamb, the perfect, perfect sinless lamb of God at that last Passover. And so he became We know the story, the account of his dying on the cross. That he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Lay there three days. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Now that time after Christ, having been raised from the dead, was a blessed time for those who followed him. Can you think in the mindset, Christ Dying on the cross, how dejected they were, how turning from that scene they were hiding. They were in in abject sorrow only to see him rise again from the dead and then spend time with him. And in that interim time, those 40 days, Jesus would connect the dots as it were for them. He would connect the dot. He would say, see this passage in the Old Testament? See how it speaks? how it spoke of me, how I fulfilled that passage. And the Bible tells us that he spent many days with them doing that, rejoicing with them that he had come and that he was indeed the Messiah. But 40 days after he rose, he ascended into heaven. But not without giving him instructions. He gave them instructions in Matthew 27. Matthew 28, we see that. He gives them instructions in Acts 1.8. You want to go there later on and look at that. And he says, what I want you to do is go back to Jerusalem and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. In fact, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So they waited 10 days to Pentecost. And as they waited, they waited for the work of the Holy Spirit upon them. Now, it's hard for us to comprehend what happened on that day. It's hard for us to imagine a people in prayer gathered together, the Holy Spirit coming, and then immediately they go out into the street. In fact, it says... In the, the passage of Acts, it says, talks about that the people around them, the people around them knew something had happened. They had heard sound. 
And so they waited in an upper room. They received, this is the upper room, the picture of that of when uh, of the disciples on the historic spot, not the exact building has been reconstructed in 1300s. But they waited a room like this to fit a hundred or so people. And then they go out from this room into the city because they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. In fact, in verses 5, if you'll read that with me, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And with the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, and in a kind of a condescending term saying, why, are, are, are all these who are speaking, aren't they Galileans? I mean, they're not really educated people, are they? But I'm hearing them in languages and tongues that they should not necessarily know. It says, verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, all the districts of Libya, Cyrene, the visitors from Rome. Why? They were there for the, for the Feast of Weeks. All these people were coming. Jews were all come back for this because it's required. They're back for this feast. Some had stayed over from Passover. They were back, and all of a sudden, they were hearing the, these 100, 120, 150 people speak in their own language. So we're hearing this. What were they saying? In fact, verse 12, what does this mean? They were in amazement. And others mocked, in verse 13, well, they were full of wine. But Peter, verse 14, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who will live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock. But this is what is spoken of, of through the prophet Joel. And Joel says, It was, shall be in the last days, as God says, that I will pour, out my, pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slave, both men and women, I will in those days pour, out, pour forth my spirit, and they shall again prophesy. And, and Peter stands up, and we have a, a replica here of, of the temple and of Jerusalem of that time. Peter stands in a place where they can, a lot of people can hear him and says, let me tell you what's happening. This is nothing else, none other than the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. God is now working in these days to proclaim good news. And so they did. They proclaimed good news. And Peter, as you walk through this uh, chapter, as Luke uh, writes this for us, this book of Acts, he walks through and begins to tell them with very blunt but kind words what had happened in the previous 55 days, 56 or 7, leading up to the trial and the rest of Jesus. And he says, Men of Israel, verse 22, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, this was not an accident. This was not an evil scheme by the Jews that somehow slipped God's notice. The plan of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, speaking of the Romans, and put him to death. 24, but God 
raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. He goes on to quote David. Verse 29, Brethren, I am confident to say that regarding the patriarch David, he both died and was buried in his tomb with this day. He said, but this Holy One that the David spoke of was this one Christ, this Messiah, and he is raised again. And he continues, verse 32, Jesus God was raised up again to which we are all witnesses. We have seen them. Now, Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, he talks about in chapter 15, about the 500, at least 500 people besides the disciples who saw the risen Christ. And undoubtedly, he's speaking to people who saw Jesus raised again, but had not yet believed that Jesus was the Messiah. We are all witnesses of his risen. He goes on. He speaks. I'll move quickly through the chapter. He finally comes to the point of of verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter, bring this down to the point that you crucified your Messiah. And they were pierced to the heart. What shall we do? And Peter tells them, repent. Repent. Call upon the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. As we read through the chapter Verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. We think about the, the excitement on this day of Pentecost spreading out. And from that, Peter, James, and John, and all the disciples closed up, rolled up their tents, and went home. And they lived happily ever after. And we closed the book, right? Well, no, life continued on. Verse 42, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, uh, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And though all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as just as anyone might have a need. They were taking care of the needs. And day by day, continuing with one mind the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this passage because it shows what happened after the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the hearts of these new believers. See, they went to the temple. They went to the temple, and as you see around the temple will be on your right there in the image, and all around the porticos, around the royal stoa, say on your left, Solomon's portico, kind of on our east side here, closest to us, the different... They were walking through these areas and telling, let me tell you about the Messiah. Let me tell you what happened to me. And they, were, they were, had little small groups teaching 
And they, were tell- and they were eating together. They were going to homes together. And they were continuing the apostles' teaching and learning. There were things going on here. And they, it was beautiful to see what God was doing in their hearts. And people kept coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Not only that 3,000 were saved that day that Peter preached, but they continued to come to know Christ. And the church grew. And the church grew, and as we know from history and from the reading of Acts, at first the Jews didn't know what to, to think of what was going on, but then persecution came. Persecution called a, a diaspora, of a, a scattering of Christians into Asia Minor, to Greece, to Rome. Later on in AD 70, with the uh, destruction of the temple, the Roman army came through and destroyed most of Jerusalem, it would seem. And with the scattering of the Jews, they went out from all the surrounding areas, and the word of God, the good news, that's what gospel means, went with the believers everywhere they went. They took the good news of Jesus with them. The gospel from a small kernel, 120 150 people maybe grew from that day of Pentecost and it grew and continued to grow, to grow to you and I are now recipients, those who know Christ are recipients of the good news of the telling of the gospel story of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He was buried, raised again, now seated at the hand of the Father. But today, why do I tell you this story? Well, today is what we celebrate as Pentecost. In case you weren't keeping track on your fingers and toes, 50 days. In the Christian realm, we celebrate today, June 4th, as Pentecost. It was this day in history so many years ago that the church was born. This instrument that God would use for teaching, for instruction, for care, for comfort, for grace in the lives of his people. It was no longer limited to one nationality of who God loved and protected and cared for. The, the gospel is open to the nations. And as you see, as the gospel traveled to all these countries, that not only Jews came to believe in the Messiah, but many Gentiles also. They came to know that Jesus was the one true God. The word spread through. And we see here at Pentecost a wonderful thing in our reading of the the last verses of 42 to 47. We see a unity. It was formally and informal. They met together, they taught, but they continued with one mind in the temple. It was unity in what they learned and they, they began to discuss and I can imagine those disciples who had heard Jesus in the 40 days or said, let me tell you what he said. Let me tell you what he told us. You remember this, not only Joel, as Peter, remember this prophecy in Isaiah? Yeah, that one. That was speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus. See how he fulfilled that? They taught. They had unity in koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship of, of partnering together in the gospel. Um, it was fellowship they shared with one another. Uh, the koinonia of, of taking care, and you had a bill that you couldn't pay, or something happened, 
death, tragedy. The believers rallied around and took care of that. It was unity. They ate together. I love how it says in, in the verses there, with gladness. They, they broke bread together with gladness and with sincerity or simple, simple or humbleness. They didn't put on airs. They didn't say, okay, you know, yeah, I got steak today. Can't have my steak. Only my friends have my steak. It was like, here, would you like something? Or lamb. Um, it, it was that, that sharing of humbleness of what is mine is yours, of sharing together. Simple, humble meals. The fellowship, the koinonia, the, the partnership, the togetherness was more important than the food. They were together. They were uni- unified in a, in a passion, a single-mindedness of the gospel. So they have common purpose. One thing mattered, and that was the good news of Jesus Christ. One thing mattered in their lives. Everything was flowing from this principle that Christ had had died, had been risen again, was at the right hand of the Father. He was God Himself. And so that focus, and that He had opened the door to every nation, that was their single purpose. To tell the nations of Jesus. They were on a mission. They had a common purpose. And it was Christ's mission. It was Christ's mission as He came. He said, I, I came not to be served. Jesus said this, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And they took His mission as their mission. So day by day they continued. Well, Stacy, thanks for the history lesson. Appreciate it. Close our books and go home. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from Pentecost? And why is it such an important day in the calendar of Christianity? What do we learn? I think one thing that we can learn is that we must stay on mission. Stay on mission. You know, it's easy to forget why we are here. Remember my first question? what we are all about, why we sit here today, why we live on earth today. Uh, in, in a former life, um, when I was a web developer, um, I'm teasing about the former life, uh, when I was a web developer, there was something called scope creep. And here's what happens. So you, you sit down with a client, and you, they say, I want a website, and you say, and they say, oh, I want a simple website, maybe six, seven pages, I'm good, that's all I need. And you give them a price. You maybe say, okay, $2,000, your website's good. Okay? And so you start building that website, or you start building that house, or you start building this program, or whatever you do. And then they come back to you and say, you know what? I would like to be able to sell to people in China. And I'd like to be able to do this, and I would like to do this and this. And all of a sudden, there was scope creep. It, it became, and, and you're coming back to them, or if you're a builder, you come back with change orders, and they're like, but I thought you said the original price. Oh, no, no. It's changed. There's been a creep in their scope. And I think somehow, for us as believers, there's, can I call it mission creep? We, we forget what we're about and why we are here, and other things come and kind of make themselves more important than the mission that God has given to us. 
things crowd out why we are here. Things become more important. Instead of our lives, our jobs, our hobbies, our enjoyments, a means to an end to give the gospel, now it's that our lives, our hobbies, our enjoyments are the primary thing. And if, by the way, we have an opportunity, if we're forced into a corner, then we tell them about Jesus. Mission creep. You and I, we all experience that. We learn from Pentecost simplicity and the humbleness of the gospel. That it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that. You know, even stability, and we like to be stable, even stability sometimes wars against the mission of God. If we're more interested in having stability in our lives than we are in seeing God magnified and glorified through our lives that the gospel may be seen, then we've missed. We've missed. I knew it was important when uh, this week David Dunnery texted me on, uh, while he's on vacation. He, he said, there's a simple line, hey, this is a good book. Read it. And I haven't had a chance to read it yet because it came late. Um, <laughs> later in the week. Uh, it was called Scattered. The premise of it, as I read the description and placed it into my Amazon checkout, the premise of it is that we are to take our professions and our jobs as a means to an end of the gospel. You ever thought about that? Your life today. If you're a follower of Christ, and I understand if you're not a follower of Christ, this is kind of, why would you do this? I understand, no problem, just kind of humor me a little bit. If you're a follower of Christ, there is one mission, and that is Christ's mission. Everything else must submit to that mission. Pentecost reminds us of that. One more thing, though, I see this, is that Pentecost reminds us that it is the Holy Spirit that makes you able. It is the Holy Spirit that makes you able. See, what happens uh, sometimes in our more conservative evangelical circles, we're afraid of um, the aberrations of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Um, we don't want to be, I don't offend anybody, snake handlers or anything like that. We don't want to be all oh, those, you know, kind of weird people. Although we may be weird ourselves. That's okay. We don't want to be that, so we tend to de-emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul had, the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about that. Walking by the Spirit. Galatians 5, which if you would have a chance to study that this week. Beautiful passage. Galatians 5, of walking in the Spirit. Stacy, what in the world is that? Well, that is being, as he said later, later in that passage, being led by the Spirit. Meaning, the, the Spirit of God is leading what we do. How does the Spirit lead? He leads through His Word. So we are in God's Word. We are being, we're, we're being um, taught by the Word of God, and so we walk. We can form our lives to, to be those things. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit that comes from walking and being led by the Spirit. The, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness. See, it's hard to be on missions. It's hard to... It's hard to give the mission and people believe you if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit in your heart and life. 
if you're not gentle and kind. If you haven't been changed by the work of Christ, they're not going to believe that the work of Christ is important. But here it is. It is the Holy Spirit that makes you able. So we're nowhere told in Scripture to pray to the Holy Spirit, but we're told to pray to the Father that the Holy Spirit would give us strength to understand His Word, to walk in His way. That is something I think that we don't always pray and request the Father of. And the Pentecost, that day, reminds us we can't do it in our own strength. None of us are good enough. Hey, if you're a follower of Christ, God's done a lot of things in your heart and life, but there's still a sin nature. At least there still is with me. And I can't live the life that God desires for me to live out His Word without the power of the Holy Spirit. Saying, oh, oh, Stacy, don't, mm, no. Mm. Remember, remember this passage? Oh, yes, I remember that. That's right. But when trials come, the Holy Spirit... Remember this passage, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Oh, yeah. That's comforting. That gives me comfort. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He empowers, He gives strength. Nothing happens in the heart and life of a believer. And those souls coming to save without the power of the Holy Spirit, first touching and reaching and working there. See, if you're not a uh, regular part of, of GBF, we have, in our context, um, given a phrase to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is in Matthew 28. He said, go make disciples. As you're going, go make disciples, teaching them. So it, it's, wait, well, here, let's just show you the slide. What we've said is reaching souls, that is the, the going of the gospel, and building lives, that discipling and and coming behind and caring and, and teaching. And this year we added together, the year before we added in love, because that's the manner in which we go. We go in love and we go together. And that's the last thing I want to see in Acts 2. They were together on this mission. See, God calls the church corporately, and yes, individually, and yes, in small groups, and yes, in larger groups, However it is that he leads, he calls us to be on the mission to be reaching souls and building lives together in love. And Pentecost reminds us, more than any other day, besides Resurrection Sunday, it reminds us that we have a mission to be about. That we have the joy and the privilege, the privilege of telling the good news of Jesus Christ. So I guess it's the only thing left there is is will we go? Will we be on the mission that God has? And for the most part, I'm speaking to those who are, have come to know Christ and would say I'm a follower of Christ. Um, may I say there is no other worthy pursuit of your time in this pursuit of God's mission. D.A. Carson, talking about this passage, says, he makes this ob- observation, the new believers did not merely add Christianity to their already busy lives, but they devoted themselves to the Christian experience. 
See, Christianity is not something you just kind of add on that makes you a better person. And we as believers know that and understand, but sometimes we get a little off track on that. And if you're here today and you, you do not know Jesus as your Savior, Christianity is not just something you add with a, you know, like a, a side item at the buffet. It is not added to other gods. Christ is very exclusive in his claim and his call upon you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father but by me. So today, if you're here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, we would invite you to know him. We invite you to see the historical Jesus, yes, the, the account that he did rise from the dead, and the account of the, the disciples who, despite opposition and death, carried the good news of the gospel the evidence of truth, we invite you to come to know Jesus as your Savior. Because Pentecost reminds us there is one mission on earth, God's mission, to redeem men and women and boys and girls to himself for his glory. May we be a part of that. If you do not know him, will you come and join us in that mission? Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, I thank you for who you are. And Father, as a day that sometimes goes unnoticed, and that this week you burdened my heart to speak on, I pray that as you have challenged and convicted my heart today, that you do so for those who have heard it. The recounting of the story of Pentecost may give us great comfort and strength, and may it challenge us. Oh God, thank you for my salvation. That when I was a wretch, you saved me. When my heart was full of sin, you saved me. You've given me a hope, hope of eternal life, of home, and of rest in heaven one day, which you've also given me and given all of us who know you the mission. May we be about that today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed.